So tell me if you've ever been in this situation. Things seemed like they were going along well. You felt like you did a good job and everything was fine. But then you find out afterwards that apparently something wasn't quite right. Someone pointed it out to you or somehow you found out that something went horribly wrong. You ever been there? I have been there a lot more than I would like to admit. <laughs> and uh, I would say I think sometimes that's even worse than when like you make a mistake and you know it right away. You're like, ah, oh, messed up. Right. I think the other one is worse when you're like, okay, things are good. And then afterwards you realize that they weren't good and there was a big issue. That can be a really hard thing. When we look at our lesson today, we're going to get to an account in the life of Moses where I can very much see Moses being like that, where things look good. And then God afterwards is like, no, no, something really bad just happened. And I can very much see Moses saying, what did I do? Come on, what, what did I do wrong? And at first glance, this lesson might look like kind of depressing for us because it might make us think, man, there's probably all these times in life where we think we're doing great and actually God says, no, you're doing wrong. Now, what did I do? What did I do wrong, Lord? But as we really dig into this lesson, we're actually going to find some real freedom and real hope and where we can, where we can really find some confidence and joy when we ask ourselves this question. What, what did I do? The lesson we have, it's Numbers chapter 20, verses 9 to 11. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Now with our lesson today, we move ahead a bit from where we were last week in the story of God and his people. Last week, our guest preacher, Professor Brian Klebet, uh, talked about the event where Moses is on Mount Sinai, the people are at the foot of Mount Sinai, and, and God is giving Moses the terms of how this relationship was going to work between he and the people, but the people became impatient, and they asked Moses' brother Aaron, actually they really demand, hey, make us gods to lead us forward. And so last week we were at Mount Sinai, and Pastor Klebet took us through that. This week's lesson moves us ahead a bit from that. And so in order to go from last week to this week, we're going to watch the beginning of the Bible Project's video on the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. This fourth book of the Bible carries forward the story of Israel after their exodus from slavery in Egypt. God had brought them to Mount Sinai, and he entered into a covenant with them there. And despite Israel's rebellion, God had graciously provided a way for Israel to live near his holy presence in the tabernacle. So the book of Numbers begins as Israel wraps up their one-year stay at Mount Sinai, and they head out into the wilderness on their way to the land that God promised Abraham. Now the book's storyline is designed according to the stages of their journey. So the first section begins at Mount Sinai, but then they set out and travel to the wilderness of Paran. And then from there, they travel to the plains of Moab, which is right across from the Promised Land. Now the first part opens with a census where the people are numbered, that's where the book gets its name, and then there are laws about how the tribes of Israel were to be arranged in their camp. So the tabernacle was to be at the center, and then around that, the priests and the Levites, and then around them, the 12 tribes neatly arranged with Judah at their head. Now, this was all an elaborate symbol about how God's holy presence was at the center of their existence as a people. 
This is all followed by a whole series of laws that develop the purity laws from the book of Leviticus. If God's presence was going to be in their midst, every effort should be made to make the camp pure, a place that welcomes God's holiness. In chapter 10, the cloud of God's presence lifts from the tabernacle and guides Israel away from Sinai out into the wilderness, and immediately things go terribly wrong. So in chapter 11, the people start complaining about their hunger and thirst and how they want to go back to Egypt. And then in chapter 12, Moses' own brother and sister begin opposing and bad-mouthing him in front of all of the people. This trip is not off to a good start. The next section begins as the Israelites arrive in the desert of Paran, about halfway to the Promised Land. And God tells Moses to send out the 12 spies, one for each tribe, so they can scout out the Promised Land. So when the spies all return, 10 of them say that there is no chance Israel can survive there because the Canaanites will destroy them. But there are two spies, Caleb and Joshua, who say that God can save them. But the 10 whip up the people into a fearful rage and they start planning a mutiny. They're going to appoint a new leader and head back to Egypt. So God is understandably angry and Moses intercedes on the people's behalf. He calls God to be faithful to his promises to Abraham. And so God does, but not at the expense of his justice. He gives these Israelites what they want to not enter the land. And God sentences this generation to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they die. Only their children will get to enter the promised land. Now you'd think this severe consequence would wake them up, but it gets even worse. So in the next story, there's a whole group of Levites that begin a rebellion, and they challenge Moses and Aaron's leadership, saying that they have gone way too far. So God deals severely with these Levites, and he renews his commitment to Moses and Aaron as Israel's leaders. Now as they leave the region of Paran and hit the road, it goes downhill yet again. The Israelites start complaining again about their thirst, and they ask why Moses even brought them out of Egypt in the first place. All right, so we stop right there because now we're to the immediate context for our sermon lesson today. To this point where the people now are thirsty again, and they're like, hey, give us, give us some water. And it's here we're going to ask the question, what, what did I do? So when they ask for water, or really demand water, we're told that Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting, and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take your staff, and you and your brother Aaron, and gather the assembly together, and then speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. All right, Moses, grab the staff, gather the people, bring them together, speak to the rock. Now we get to our lesson. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and then water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Now at first glance, Things look pretty good. We're told Moses raised, got the staff, just as he was commanded, and then water gushed out, and the community and the livestock drank. Things seem good. But before we go any further, there's just a little, little note here, is that just because something starts off looking good, 
And just because it turns out well doesn't mean that everything that happened there was good. Sometimes we see this in life where sometimes God will have something turn out well, but it doesn't mean that the process to get there was necessarily a good thing. It just means that God is gracious and he still provided. And he still carried out his plan, even though it wasn't done well. I bring that out because while it looks good here, water comes out. Look at what God says to Moses and Aaron. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Because of what just happened, Moses would not get to go into the promised land. That's a big deal. Like all these things that Moses has been part of, and because of what just happened, he doesn't get to go into the promised land. If I was Moses, I think I'd be looking at this going, like, what? What did I do? You know, what did I do wrong here? Like, come on, I, 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 the water came out. What's the deal? What did I do? Well, what did he do? Look back again at what took place here. It starts off by saying, Moses did just as he commanded. He took the staff. But did you notice where in our lesson does it say that Moses did what he was commanded? At first, it says it. So he took the staff, good, just as he was commanded. But then there's a lot that happens afterwards. And let's see if what he did afterwards is what the Lord commanded him. So he took the staff as he was commanded. Turns out great water gushes out, but what did he do to get that water? He hit the rock twice. What had God told him to do? God had said, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together and do what? Speak to the rock. He did not say, hit the rock. He said, speak to it. Now, let's be honest. Is that really a big deal? <laughs> At first, you might think, like, really? Like, speak to the rock, hit the rock, especially when you keep in mind that this is not the first time the people have been thirsty. Back in Exodus chapter 17, they needed water there. And at that point, God said, strike the rock. So he struck the rock the first time. Why not strike the rock again this time? It might seem like a minor detail to us. And like, really, God? Like, it's kind of harsh here. But this seemingly minor detail actually reveals a major condition of Moses' heart at this point. <laughs> that sometimes we might look and go, something might seem like a minor detail in our lives, but that minor detail may actually be a revelation of a major condition. And we see that when we look again at what God said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me. It wasn't just that Moses, like, didn't listen closely enough, where Moses was like, well, he told me to hit it the first time, so I'm just hitting it again. Like, it wasn't, wasn't a minor thing, and there was actually a heart condition where he wasn't trusting God. And this word trust, it's interesting in the original language. It's the idea of actually something being built up and being sturdy so you can kind of depend on it. It's actually primarily used to talk about raising children and help them grow up and become strong. 
And so then the idea when it comes to this context is that that's something that you've been brought that you can, to the point that you believe in it, so you trust in it, it's sturdy, you depend on it. And God says here you weren't depending on, you weren't relying on me. You were relying on something else, or likely in this situation, since he hits the rock, he was relying more on himself rather than allowing God to support him. This is why I have this picture of a bridge here on the screen right now. You know, with the bridge, you have these, these supports underneath, right? And actually, someone after early service who is an engineer was ex telling me that also if a bridge like this, you have apparently these multiple ways where this bridge is supported. I was like, that's nice. I didn't know. Very good. Um, there's all these aspects to these various ways of support, okay? You, so you can go across the bridge knowing it's supported from above, below, all these different things. This is what this word is describing us, this trusting in something to support you. And God says, Moses, you didn't really trust in me to support you. As I look at what happens here with Moses, I recognize, man, I think I find myself very much in a Moses situation pretty often. I need, let's see, Earl, could you stand up? I need, I need, I need help. Can you come over here? You didn't know about being an usher today. I guess you do it more in the middle of the sermon. Okay, I need you, why don't you come over here? I find that often in my life of faith, I will say, God, I want you to support me. I need you to support me. Can you put your hands on me to support me? And I'll say, all right, good, thanks. You can keep them on my shoulders. Yeah. And I'm like, man, God's supporting me so much. Where the reality is, how much is he really supporting me right now? I'm really like, I might say he's supporting me and his arms might be on my shoulder. And you're, put, you're strong, man. You're pushing hard. Yeah. But the reality is, I'm really standing on, my, trying to stand on my own two feet. You know? And we might go, yep, I trust in the Lord. But the reality is, if I was really wanting him to support me, I'm going to kind of lean back more now. So now be ready, okay? I would be more like this, right? I, I know, I'm a big guy, aren't I? All right. I'd be more like that. But our posture in our lives often is more like, all right, Lord, support me. But we really are kind of standing on, trying to stand on our own two feet and do it too. All right, very good. Thank you. You're a great helper. With Moses here, okay, God said to do that, but he wasn't really trusting the Lord to support him. He wasn't recognizing God was the one who was going to make this happen. Or like our lesson says, or this verse says, I should say, he didn't trust in me enough to honor me as holy. We often think of the word holy as referring to being sinless, and that can be part of it, but it really means set apart, are unique, as being the unique source. He didn't recognize God as being the unique source to bring this water out. Because God is the unique source, he's the one who gets to say how it happens. He is the one who makes it happen. The takeaway from the first time that Moses hit the rock, if Moses were to ask himself, what did I do that first time? The answer should just be, I just did what I was told. God brought the water out, right? The, the, the application from that first time is not, you know what you should do every time you're thirsty going forward? You should go, man, we're thirsty. I need a rock. Hmm, there's a rock right here. All right, good. That's exactly what his rocks were. All right, because you're thirsty, right? You need a drink? Boom, water. That's not the application, right? If I just go and hit a rock, I am powerless. 
to bring water out of it. We would look at that and go, if I brought a rock out to you and said, hit it with a stick so you can drink, you'd be like, Pastor A needs some more sleep after youth camp because he's going a little crazy, right? <laughs> we know that's not what that's about. And yet, there seems to be this aspect where Moses wasn't trusting the Lord with this, but actually, actually thinking like, okay, if I just hit it, then I'm going to bring it out rather than recognizing that God is the unique source to bring it out. And all I did the first time was obey. So what should I do this time? I should just obey. Because it's really him doing it and not me. If Moses were to ask himself, what did I do the first time? Nothing really. I just did what I was told. God brought the water out. So what did I do this time? Not what I was told. Because I didn't trust that the Lord was the only one who brings this water out. See, Moses got something confused. And it's an important thing that I realized. Man, digging into this lesson, I realized that this is a very foundational, important thing for us to distinguish in our minds. If you're a note taker, this is the time to get your worship folder out. In your worship folder, it says, what did I do? And then you'll see the verses here. On the one side, write the word obedience. And then the other side, write the word origin. There is a distinct difference between just obeying the Lord and then having the origin, being the source of something. Right? So think about it this way. The first time, like when Moses hit the rock, he was just being obedient. But was Moses the origin, like where, where the, the water originated? No. Right? All he was doing was a guy hitting the rock. He's powerless to make water come out of it. That comes from God. When you obey and simply just do what you're told, you are not the source. God is the source. But sometimes we can start to see our obedience as if it's the origin of something. If we do this thing, we can make it happen. If I hit this rock, I'm going to bring water out. If I do this, I'm going to bring it out. And so then we start to not necessarily listen to the voice of the Lord and just start doing things our own way because we think that's the way to make it happen. So thinking about in our lives, what did I do? What did I do to get what God has given me, to receive the blessings God has given me? Have I made it happen? Have I made my life with God happen? Or has God given this to me? Am I the source? Or am I just, when I live my life of faith, being obedient? Sometimes we can get the two confused. We can know God is the source. But sometimes, instead of just being obedient, sometimes we can act like we're the source when we take hold of our lives of faith. Think about some of the examples of the things that we do. Say God's word, for instance. When you read God's word, you're being obedient. God says to read the word. But sometimes when we read the word, do we ever find like this sense of like, I'm checking off the box of what I'm supposed to do today for the Lord? Or when I read God's word, that it's my job to kind of figure it out, and since I can't figure it out, when well, then I kind of get stuck not doing it. 
Or do we read the word recognizing that we're just being obedient? And then the Lord is the one who's really the source of this. If we read the word thinking it's something we got to just kind of figure out ourselves, what can happen sometimes, and you see this with people, is people can take scripture, you're already going down the path now of taking scripture and manipulating it and tweaking it to meet what you want it to be. You know, like how Moses took God's command and just tweaked it a little bit to be what he wants it to be. How many things in scripture are commands that God has given us, but then we take it and we're like, all right, I'll take what the Lord says, but I'm just going to apply it a bit differently. It can be tempting to do that. What about something like prayer? When we go before the Lord and we speak to him and we pray to him, do we see prayer as being the source or do we recognize that we're going to the source? When you pray to the Lord, you're being obedient. That's good. But sometimes we can act like that obedience is actually the thing that's going to bring about. Like when you pray to the Lord, do you pray to the Lord saying, God, you know what I need before I ask it? Jesus told us that, right? He knows what we need before we ask. And Jesus also said, like you pray, your will be done. We're just bringing before the Lord, looking for him to work things out. Do we pray that way or do we pray to the Lord saying, okay, if I pray to God, maybe I can get God to do what I want him to do. I find too many times that I go through and I got all these things I want God to do. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, your will be done. And I kind of tag it on there because I know I'm supposed to. But the reality is I just want God to do what I want him to do. You know, do you ever find yourself there? All right, God, just really want this. And if, don't get me wrong, express your desires to God. But then truly, God, your will be done. You know what's best here. My prayers are not the source. I'm just being obedient, living the lateness before you. You're the source to determine how this turns out. Or what about our spiritual gifts? That's why I have this picture of a gift up here. We are all gifted by God in various ways. Do we see these gifts as coming from the Lord, meant to be utilized to, to make a difference in the world, to serve the church, to serve other people? Or do we see these gifts as something like they come from us, so therefore I can do what I want with them? And then also, therefore, they're, they're, they're really a matter of just what I'm able to muster up myself. You know? Thinking about just our life in general, do we remember that our life is a gift from God, or do we see our life almost like it's from us and we get to be in charge? When you go through your day, do you pause and go, God, this life, everything I have is from you. What do you want to do with it? Or do we go, I don't know, we just get busy and we just go about our day, trying to be in charge of it ourselves. This can happen in various ways where, where something that God wants us to do, how we take hold of our faith, becomes where we sometimes will confuse obedience and origin. Instead of just being obedient, we start to take hold of these things like we are the source. Or like it's something that we are doing to make things happen. There are two other ones, not just generally, but two specific ones that, that come up within the Lutheran Church that I really want to highlight because it's their wonderful gifts that sometimes our sinful nature can get us to think about the wrong way. And these two things are, so we talk about the word and the sacraments. The two sacraments in the Lutheran Church are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, if you talk to someone who comes from a more non-denominational or evangelical background or Baptist background, they may tell you that sacramentalists, and they mean us as Lutherans, we're, we're part of that, see baptism as something we do to earn God's favor. They may tell you that. I've heard, I've heard people say that. 
And part of the reason why they say that, I think, is one, maybe they, they haven't had, we haven't had a good conversation, but also because sometimes people can act like baptism is something we do. Like the act of baptism is a source for how we make God be happy with us. It's not. It is definitively not. It is a means of grace. It's something we go to and we do because Christ said to, right? It's obedience. We baptize people, and when you come and you bring someone to the baptismal font, God's word says that you are connected to what Jesus did by dying for our sins and rising again. It is a place where you meet you meet the grace of God and you embrace and receive the grace of God. It is really a means of grace. But it's simply, when you go there, it's not an act of obedience. It's not something that by itself, like, like by itself, if it wasn't connected to the word and promise of God, our Lutheran catechism says the water would just be water. It's only because it's connected to the promise of God and the power of God that it actually has that. When you bring someone to the baptismal font, it's just an act of obedience. But sometimes people can kind of talk about it like, well, we, we, we did this thing, so therefore we have kind of earned this from God. Or, you, or maybe you see it more so in the way that people will baptize their baby, but then feel like, all right, good, got that checked off, and forget the rest. And when I say the rest, notice Jesus said, baptize them and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. Baptism connects you to the gospel. It connects you to Jesus. And it's the beginning of a life where you are now going again and again back to the source. This is why when we go through our baptismal parts of the service, we talk about now, okay, the expectation is that you will teach them the faith. And then they will go to Sunday school and go to confirmation class, you know. Or if you're being baptized as an adult, the idea is that you will now continue in worship and in the word. Because it's not just checked off. I'm good with God, but it's the beginning of something where you are tapping into the source. The Lord's Supper is a similar thing. The other sacrament. Where sometimes people can see the Lord's Supper almost as if, almost as if, if I do this thing, therefore, I know that God has to be right with me. It's like something I do for the Lord. And there are actually some churches out there that kind of talk about that way. It's like a sacrifice you make towards God. But Jesus gave us, when he took the bread and the wine, he said, this is my body, this is my blood, given for you. When you walk up front and you take the Lord's Supper today, you're simply being obedient in receiving the body and blood, the forgiveness of your sins. And just like Moses, when he obeyed God, was not the source, he wasn't earning anything, he was simply receiving the water from the rock when he did it the right way. When we take the Lord's Supper, all we're doing, we're simply receiving we're just being obedient. The source is Jesus. We're not doing anything for him. We're just receiving this from him. Now, just like with our lesson, Moses didn't do it the right way. Water still came, right? With the Lord's Supper, if you don't recognize the body and blood of Christ, it's still there. And that's why we, every time we have the Lord's Supper on a weekend, what do you have in your worship folder? We have this insert so you can read it and remember what the Lord's Supper is. That it's not something you're doing for the Lord, but rather it's you coming up, just being obedient, receiving the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins, connecting you with him and those around you. And that's why if you're a visitor here or you haven't been here or you, you uh, bring a, a guest, we encourage if you've been taught differently about the Lord's Supper to wait to take it until we have a chance to talk about it.
so you can know, know what it is. These are wonderful gifts that we have, and it's important that we recognize the distinction between obedience and origin. That we are not the source. We're simply being obedient when we do these things. It's interesting, isn't it? This old faith versus works dilemma in the Christian faith, how much it comes out as we live our lives. This tension is always within us. Am I doing this thing to try to make it right with God and try to do it myself? And when I go about my Christian faith, am I trying to work these things out? Or is taking hold of my Christian life simply a matter of faith where I'm receiving the gifts God has given me? If we ask ourselves, what did I do? If you're like me, there are many ways where I will see that I have not lived where I've really embraced obedience, but more so lived like I'm the source. And maybe you have too, where you have, you've read your Bible, checked it off, where you've gone and thought about your baptism, kind of like, all right, got that done. Or maybe you go to the Lord's Supper and you kind of just go through the motions. Or you, you take your life and your gifts and, it's, and you, you think about it and you apply them simply the way you want to. There's many ways where we look at what God has given us and what did I do? I, I guess I was probably a lot like Moses, honestly. And I confused obedience and origin. But all of Scripture points us, points us to Jesus. And thank God it does because, you know, if Moses, Moses is a great character in Scripture, but where does he not get to go? The promised land. And if we were to just look at our lives and, and look at Moses and we see he didn't get to go to the promised land, we might start wondering, do I get to go to the promised land? We do. Because of Jesus. Remember that gospel lesson, just that one verse where Jesus so beautifully talks about how, even though he's fully God, what does he do with his father? Obeys him perfectly. Jesus never confused obedience and origin, origin or origination in that way. He always was obedient to his father. Because Jesus is everything we are meant to be, but not. He obeyed his father all the way to the point where he would go to the cross, and then there this exchange would happen. We're on the cross. He would take on himself all the ways you and I have ever been disobedient, and he would pay for those things there. He would take the justice for those things there, and he died so your sins could be paid for. And then he rose again, on Easter Sunday, and that stone was rolled away. And when that stone was rolled away, it showed that he had risen to new life, that he is the source of new, true life, of the life that we need, that we're really thirsty for. And one of the things that we read in our lesson from Corinthians is that this Christ was actually the source of the water in Moses' And when you think about the fact that when that stone was rolled away, it showed that Jesus had risen again. It's this great reminder that this Christ is the source of everything that we need again also today. That when you see any of the rocks that God would have you go to, like any of the ways he would have you take hold of your faith, that when you see those rocks, you should see Christ. It's, you look beyond the rock and see the Christ behind it who gives you the gift. 
behind the rock. Why are you obedient? Why do we want to be obedient when you go there? Is because what we're doing, what we're seeing is actually we're not the source. All we're doing is coming to the one who is the source. And if you're a note taker, get that rock out or get that worship folder out. You'll see a rock there. Write a cross right in that worship folder. Draw a cross. Because the source of my life is Jesus. What did I do to earn being right with God? To have life with God? Nothing. There's nothing I could do. But the great thing is there's nothing I have to do because Jesus has won it. He has done it. He is the source. And now I get to take hold of that in all these various ways in my life. Not because I'm going to make it happen. Not because I'm going to be the source. But simply because I get to be obedient and receive and embrace what he's given us. I encourage you to write the word life above the rock there, and then all these other different things. How do we embrace this life God has given us? We get to go, and we get to simply just be obedient with our lives. Okay, God, this is your life. What do you want to do with it? What do you want to do through it? As you embrace this, it can be incredibly liberating and powerful. I mentioned before the worship that uh, I had youth camp a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was there, and in the time leading up to the youth camp, I was praying to the Lord about, about the camp, and, and, you know, there's like 90-some of us up there, right? And I feel a lot of weight and responsibility getting ready for camp. And I'm praying to God for everything to go smoothly and everything. And as I was praying, all of a sudden something dawned on me that in hindsight I realized is like, well, of course, Nate. But it sunk into me in a new way this year. As I was praying, God, may this be a smooth week, may it go well, I realized how limited my power was really to make that happen. Like, I plan it, I coordinate it, right? But there is not a thing I can do to make sure that this one camper doesn't step wrong while playing soccer and twist her ankle. Nothing I can do about it, right? And there's nothing I can do to make sure that somebody doesn't, like, throw the frisbee and get in the way and get hit in the face, right? And there's nothing I can do to prep one of those campers' hearts at home so that when they get to camp, they're not homesick and having a hard, hard time. There's nothing I could do. And so in my prayer, I was like, all right, Lord, if this is going to go smoothly, you're going to have to do it. Because I can only do the things that I can do. I can only be obedient. I can plan it. I can inform the counselors. There's certain, certain things I can do, but man, there's so much that I am powerless to do. So if it's going to work, you're going to have to do it. And I tell you what, even saying it now, Man, it's liberating. All I, all I got to do is be obedient, right? That's, I, that's my, my invitation. Just obey. And then let the Lord do all the other stuff because really I'm not the source. I can't make it work. He is. He will. I just be obedient. So all, same thing with all these things. Lord, it's your life. I get to be obedient today. If it's going to go well, it's up to you. Do your thing. When I think about God's word. It's really powerful when you embrace the word of the Lord this way. All right, Lord, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to dig in. And it's not up to me to figure it out. You're the source. And it kind of actually removes your own limits on reading God's word. Because if it's, not, if it's not dependent on you, it's also not limited by you. All right, Lord, what do you want to do through your word today? When you think about baptism. And you recognize that he's the source. It becomes so much more than just this thing, this beautiful traditional day where, okay, they got baptized. The Lord did something there. All right, God, what do you want to, how do you want to use that? Think about the Lord's Supper. 
It's not just something we do twice a month. But when you think about the fact that Jesus gave you his body and blood, all right, Lord, how do you want to empower me by that? That's amazing. You think about prayer. And prayer is so much bigger than, okay, Lord, this is how I think I want to fix this situation. Lord, you know what needs to be done. Take it. That's powerful. And all these other various ways, too, using my spiritual gifts. All right, Lord, how have you gifted me? What do you want to do? What's your plan? Lord, I don't know how to, how to make your kingdom come and, and, and spread the gospel without the world necessarily, but I, I just get to be obedient and use my gifts, and then you get to take it and run with it. Serving others, just be obedient. Serve the people around you. Lord, you take it, and you're going to do what you want to do. Whatever your vocation is in front of you, and vocation meaning anything God has really called you to do, right? You can think about it at your work, but also in your family. You know, being a wife, husband, son, daughter, brother, sister. Think about it in your neighborhoods, being a neighbor, how, what vocation God has given you. Just do your vocation. Be obedient. Trust the Lord to take care of those other things. Spreading the gospel in the world. Just share the gospel. How's it going to spread throughout the world? You know, it's not on you to figure it all out. Because you're not the source. You're just being obedient. It is so liberating whenever you think about all these different things to recognize that behind this rock, this thing that God has given you the chance to take hold of, is Christ. What did I do to make all this happen? Nothing, really. I'm not the source. I just get to be trust him to be the source, him to be the power, him to give the life. That's the freedom and the power behind asking the question, what did I, what did I do?